Welcome to the Foresight Health Roundup podcast, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Berta, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Thursday, September 14th. One of my favorite movies is Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? There's a scene toward the end of the movie when Pappy O'Daniel, the incumbent governor of Mississippi, tells the four Soggy Bottom boys that they are his brain trust, to which Ulysses Everett McGill, the leader of the Soggy Bottom boys, tells the other three that they're going to be the power behind the throne, so to speak. That scene came to mind when I heard about CMS's new value-based care demonstration project, and you'll get why in a minute. The long name of the CMS project is the States Advancing All-Payer Health Equity Approaches and Development Model. The short name, and the one we'll use in the podcast, is AHEAD, as in the AHEAD model. To share their hopes and dreams for the AHEAD model are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Merchantson, partner at Transformation Capital. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning? Dave? Well, a host of our graduate school classmates and spouses are descending upon Chicago today for a long weekend of fun, friendship, frivolity, and very earnest public policy debates. I got to tell you, our house has never looked so good. <laughs> That's when the house is the cleanest, right? In preparation for a party. Exactly. Universal exactly. truth. Uh, Julie, how are you? I'm well. I was just in New York with our team, actually. Um, had a great week. And um, we toured the Intrepid. And if you haven't been there to see all they have there, I gotta say, I was pretty impressed. It's a, it's a whole new view on technology and how it's shifted. That's for sure. Now, before we talk about the AHEAD model, I did want to talk a little football and get your early reaction to your favorite teams. Dave, your Vikings lost. Any thoughts? Ugh, just like that, there go my hopes for an undefeated season. The Vikings once again demonstrate their ability to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. You know, unlike you, Dave, I am a totally fair weather fan. Uh, if the Vikes are going to fail this season, which I hope they don't, but if they are going to, I hope they do it fast so I can pay attention to other things. <laughs> On the plus side, I'm very grateful for the fact that I'm not a Jets fan. Yeah, that that was awful. Thanks, Dave. Julie, your Dolphins won a nail biter over the Chargers. What's your first take on the team? Well, I'm used to the Dolphins winning these early games and then tanking at the end of the season. So, you know, being a Dolphins fan is living a cautious life, but they looked pretty good. And if anything, we got some work to do on the defense. Well, my Packers won, which was great. But the best part of that is listening to all the hysterical Bears fans on sports radio here in Chicago. <laughs> you know, one minute they're going to win the Super Bowl. Three hours later, they went the entire coaching staff, head office, and all the players fired. It's it's great. <laughs> you know, nothing says Chicago like angry Bears fans. It's the uh, best reality show going. Now let's talk about the reality of states adopting all-payer global budget systems for their residents who are enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid. Here are some of the key features in the new AHEAD model. So bear with me here. The program runs from 2024 through 2034, so 10 years. Up to eight states can participate in the program. Participation is voluntary. 
States would set up Medicare global budgets for providers who participate in their state's program. Provider participation is voluntary. Providers include health systems, hospitals, and primary care practices. Participating providers would accept a predetermined fixed annual budget to treat their Medicare patients based on their past Medicare treatment costs. States would roll their Medicaid programs into the model for both hospitals and primary care practices. And states would, quote, use regulatory levers and authority, close quote, to incentivize other private payers in the states to participate. Okay, Ulysses Everett McGill, give us the quick backstory behind the throne of the demo. Then tell me from a policy perspective where this program fits into your belief that the healthcare system will change more in the next 10 years than it has in the past 100 years. Oh, brother, where art thou? When Brad Smith was the CMMI program administrator at the end of the Trump administration, He undertook a comprehensive review of all 54 of CMMI's value-based payment models. And I don't know if you remember this, but only five of them achieved savings at all. And it didn't include some of the big ones like bundles and the cancer program. And what Brad said was that the ones that did succeed had a clear thesis, a clear thesis on cost and quality improvement. And he particularly singled out the Maryland all-payment program, all-payment model with the global budgets. And that is projected to save over a billion dollars by the time the second waiver period is done in a couple of years. Brad's comments were on my mind early last year when Zeke Emanuel, Merrill Guzner, and I wrote the two-part series in Health Affairs on state-based payment reform. And evidently, that series influenced CMMI's thinking in developing the HEAD program, which is pretty cool. At the time, I was channeling my inner Uwe Reinhardt and saying, it's the payment model, stupid. And you've both heard me say this a million times, that we're not going to change the way we deliver care until we change the way we pay for it. And Maryland does that, you know, all payers. So providers receive the same amount regardless of the insurance sponsor, commercial, Medicare, Medicaid, self-pay. And the beauty of the federal model is that the states are laboratories, so it works in Maryland, so copy it, or at least use it as a basis for further experimentation. So Maryland is working, all-payer model, the global budget, really important in, in reining in costs. So why does Maryland work? when the other CMMI initiatives didn't, and what implications does that have for the AHEAD program, a similar all-payer model with global caps, have for states that want to jump into it? Well, my opinion, here's what you need to get real payment reform. It has to be big, so think statewide. It's got to be mandatory. you, know, you got to be in. <laughs> Nobody can uh, opt out. It's got to be comprehensive, so you can't you know, gain parts of the system against the program it should be administratively easy and it should be long term. So how does the AHEAD program stack up on these criteria? It's big, right? Supplying to entire states or major subregions within states. So passes that test. Is it mandatory? No. And that's bad really unfortunate. So they're going to have to win participants with carrots and no sticks. 
comprehensive. Uh, I think it, on balance, passes that test, emphasizes primary care, incorporates Medicaid with Medicare into the payment model. It encourages participation of commercial plans as well. So this this could be true. Devil will be in the details, um, but it could be true for those providers who decide to participate. So a plus on comprehensive. Administratively easy. <laughs> Let's see. Too early to tell. And long-term, absolutely, yes, 10-year program. So participants that are going to play in this field know that they can have confidence around their payments for 10 years to come. Really, really important. But perhaps the biggest benefit of all of this program is it creates a pathway for really ambitious governors to get real payment reform by negotiating the mother of all waivers with CMS. And I actually believe that could happen, that uh, a governor and a state that really wants to push mandatory payment reform far beyond where Maryland is. So imagine an all-payer system on steroids that they can go to CMS and say, hey, we're doing this in a small way. We want to do it in a big way. Help us out. In terms of your question about the extent to which the HEAD program will contribute to my proclaimed announcement or conclusion that healthcare will change more in the next 10 years than it has in the last 100 years. I don't think it's going to change it that much because the whole basis for my conclusion is that the change coming to the healthcare industry is going to be more outside in than inside out. This is a totally inside out program. What it does do, though, is give some providers, those that are in states that participate in the program and providers that choose to participate in the program. So, you know, two conditions there. It gives them a chance to get on the train before it leaves the station. And that's that's important because I think there will be some providers that make the transition truly to a value-based payment system where we have more health and less health care. But most are going to fight this with every fiber of their being and Till they absolutely have no other alternative. So will it help? Probably helps on the margins. I, I don't think, though, Dave, we should look for salvation for value-based payment, value-based care in this program. It's helpful, but it's nowhere near enough to get us there. Got it. Yeah, I think the tough sell will be the doctor. So well, we'll see how it plays out. Thanks, Dave. Julie, any questions for Dave? Yeah, Dave. So we've talked a lot about some of the challenges that provider consolidation is creating for the industry from a rate perspective, so many perspectives. And when I look at this program, I think to myself, you know, there's more to it than just the reimbursement change here. Do you think that there's some kind of impact that this global pledging could have on provider consolidation as a movement? Yeah. You know, Julie, I'm I'm not an economist, but I'm going to give you an economist answer sort of on the one hand and on the other hand. So on the one hand, I think it could slow down consolidation. It takes the immediate financial pressure off because the global cap guarantees a certain amount of payment, albeit a little bit less than they probably got the year before and going down each year. But it takes the revenue pressure off, which means that health systems and hospitals, doctors can focus on real performance improvement, knowing that they're going to have a certain amount of revenue coming in the door. And also this program is going to take some time to figure out and that almost always kind of slows down strategic moves like consolidation. On the other hand, maybe it'll speed it up. 
combining creates more opportunities for real savings. You know, if you got two systems that uh, one system that's underperforming and it combines with another one that's underperforming, that much more opportunity for savings, cutting overhead and so on. And you can do that without the traditional focus, what you were just referencing on using market leverage to push up commercial payment rates. Won't be able to do that, presumably. And by the way, there should be consolidation. We have far too many providers and they operate independently with enormous amounts of duplication and waste. So on the one hand, it could slow it down. On the other hand, it could speed it up. Interesting to to see how the importance of market share changes under this model. That's great. Thanks, Dave. Julie, they say uh, necessity is the mother of invention. If all payer global budgets are the necessity, where is the healthcare innovation? Is this a deterrent or an accelerant? Well, first of all, Dave, I loved your analysis. Really thoughtful on so many dimensions. And I looked at it totally differently. So this will be fun. (laughs) Great. You know, uh, this kind of concept of global cap is one that we've been on the road towards for, I don't know, decades now, right? And when I looked at the bones of what they're doing with the AHEAD program, now, there are specific places where you would imagine innovation will happen based on how it's designed. So participants in the program need to focus on behavioral health integration and health-related social needs and care management specialty coordination. So in those areas, I would hope that you would need to innovate to be able to deliver with you know, a more controlled you know, revenue model. And then when you look at the goals of the program, it's really to strengthen primary care um, and, again, improve care coordination. So there's a lot of places in primary care where you can imagine there's tremendous innovation that could happen to really manage care in a way where, again, revenue is more controlled. It's not a fee-for-service playground. So, you know, there should be a lot here. What I liked about the program in addition is that there is some room for incentive payments. And Dave, you didn't like the fact that there may need to be more carrots and sticks. But I actually think incentives could be used really creatively with a more of a capped model here because it allows for some direction of how to think about focusing on specific parts of care or specific segments to really do you know, what the hospital needs to achieve in that market. So I do think there's some creativity here that I like. And, you know, there are some specific little nuances around the hospital's health equity plan and needing to do health-related social screening, social needs screenings, and demographic data collection. So there are some nuggets of what needs to happen as part of the foundation where you can imagine there needs to be new data capture capabilities and workflow tools that will need to enable all that. So I'm very net positive on the types of things I see in the head program. However, I've spent years off and on talking to my friend, Mark Shaver, who currently runs strategy and a number of the physician operations at University of Maryland. And he was at Hopkins before, you know, Well Tower. He has seen a lot and is very thoughtful on this. And I've always been surprised by his perspective that, you know, the Maryland system is amazing, but it actually suppresses innovation because it suppresses hospital margins. And what's more fascinating to me is when you look at the Medicare Advantage position in Maryland, you know, they're running like 
I don't know, 20%, 30% below the rest of the states in the country that are more advanced on Medicare Advantage. And what does that mean and why is that important? MA has really been the driver for innovation in many other parts of the country. And with MA being so low, Dave, you'll love this, you actually don't get the Oak Streets or the Chen Meds or the outside innovation coming into Maryland as a state and really pushing those health systems to do what they do better. So what happens, I think, you know, is that the health systems deliver as much as they can deliver as well as they can deliver it to the revenue cap that they have. So it creates some weird, I think, disincentives. And I think Mark would probably also say that the Maryland program is amazing because it does allow a provider to treat a patient like a patient, regardless of how that patient is being paid for. So there are a lot of really good, I think, conceptual aspects of the Maryland model that really do allow for less cherry picking, you know, more treating patients as part of a broader community. But I worry about the innovation that he's seen in the Maryland market and what that might mean, you know, in general here. That's interesting. A lot of short-term gains and long-term risks. Thanks, Julie. Dave, any questions for Julie? Here's my question for you. And it's a hypothetical one, which are always dangerous, but I know that you're a huge admirer, as am I, of Janice Nevin, the CEO of Christiana Care, which is Delaware's largest health system. If Delaware somehow became one of the eight states and Janice were to ask you for your advice on whether Christiana Care should participate in a head, what would you tell her? And, you know, put another way, can a head become the type of forcing function that you were just describing for a health system like Christiana Care and for a really fantastic CEO like Janice to accelerate implementation of real value-based care delivery, which I know she's passionate about? What do you think? Janice is already on the forefront of doing a lot going down this road. You know, they have a relationship with Highmark where they're really looking at how they make progress together in a state where they both have significant market share and can really move the needle. So she's already doing a lot and experimenting quite a bit. If she were part of the ahead, you know, I, I think Janice would already know that ahead would have to be something that she takes what she's already doing with some of the social needs work that they're doing and a lot of the value-based care work that they're pushing and use it to push towards what will be an ultimate system that includes a lot of innovation along the way. And I guess that's how I feel about the AHEAD program, period, is that you know, if you use the AHEAD program as a step towards what the end goal is in value-based care, and you leave room to innovate in ways that make sense in your market and update your systems and update your business strategy along the way to get towards how to work in that kind of revenue environment, then the AHEAD program can be super useful as a stepping stone. So uh, I'd be interested really in how Janice would react to this. Right. She doesn't want to go backwards. She wants to keep going forward. So uh, great point. Thanks, Julie. Uh, you know, I'll just say this, you know, when someone gives me $50 and only $50 to spend on a tailgate party, I can get pretty creative. But if someone here gives me the debit card, I'll end up with a lot of expensive leftovers, right? <laughs> so it really all comes down to football, doesn't it? Right? Always. And food. <laughs> 
and food <laughs> wings it's really all about the wings <laughs> right yeah yeah football food wings got it all right that's a great discussion i know we'll be revisiting this topic uh, many times in the future now let's briefly talk about other news that happened this week it wasn't all bad was it julie anything else worth mentioning today well on the heels of our recent podcast about ehrs Oracle shares fell 13%. <laughs> and if you read, you know, what the CEO is saying, a lot of the blame is really going to Cerner. And it seems like maybe it's a bit of a one-time um, charge kind of situation, but I don't know if that's really right. But they're talking about it's a transition from some of the headwinds that Cerner's had and also in transitioning Cerner to the cloud, which is, you know, shifting their revenue model. But I don't know. I'm, I'm worried about Cerner. Yeah, we we timed that topic perfectly. <laughs> we'll see how that one plays out, too. Dave, what else caught your attention and uh, why? Well, I conclude completely different. Who knew we had so much influence on the market? Unbelievable. Good for <laughs> us. Uh, this is pretty interesting. One of the friends coming in this weekend is Jay Walter, the former chair of the MTA, the big transit system in New York. And he needs to have some pretty simple meniscus surgery. And it turns out his insurance company changed their model for paying for out-of-network physicians last month. So he was thought he was going from 80% of reasonable charges and having to pay whatever on top of that to one where his insurance company is now just paying 275% of Medicare rates. And the doctor's you know, charge, which we know is fictitious, is 12 grand. He's willing to take five. Medicare is willing to pay 1400 And while I feel badly for Jay, I like the fact that the dysfunctional pricing of healthcare is coming down so directly to him as a consumer. And um, it's going to affect behavior. So pretty interesting kind of what's going on in the payment world. The only other thing I'm following is the announcement this week that Walmart is looking at acquiring ChenMed, you know, another one of these retail enhanced primary care provider deals. Be interesting to see if that comes to fruition. And we'll see if we pull some market clout with that one too. That's a great mention. <laughs> thanks, Dave. And thanks, Julie. That is all the time we have for today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed on today's show, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. And don't forget to tell a friend about the Foresight Health Roundup podcast. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health. <laughs>